morning. Welcome, church, on this beautiful Sunday. It's good to gather like this each week to tell Christ's story, encounter God's spirit, and be formed more like Christ together. Our call to worship comes from Revelation 21, 3 to 6, where the Apostle John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, writes of a vision he had, depicting a time that is coming when Jesus returns. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning declaring you are our God and that we are your people. We come forever grateful for the cross that we have been given a way back to you and can experience new life with you, Jesus. We trust that what we experience here today in your presence is a glimpse of heaven where all nations and all people will gather around your throne and worship and where we will experience all things new. So come meet us here, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Amen. As you're able, please stand as we sing. How I long to breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone and mercy fills the street I look upon the one who cared to save me And walk with him for all eternity Sing that again And how I long Breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone And mercy fills the streets To look upon The one who bled to save me And walk with him For all eternity And there will be will be no more standing face to face with he who died and rose again holy holy is the lord and every prayer we prayed in desperation the songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear. In the end, we'll see that it was worth it. Where He returns to wipe away our tears. There will be a day 
and he says that he saw elders, preachers, standing around the throne, before the throne, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Church, this is the chorus that we will be singing forever and ever. And so let's learn that song here. Let's do that now. As we believe that God's spirit is here in this place, that we can join what's happening in the chorus of heaven here, right now.
extended congregational prayer before we pass the peace. However, we will do it after our sermon. The peace of Christ to you. When we say that to each other, we're not just wishing it or trying to manifest it. We're speaking something that's true and already real. So please take a moment to say pass the peace of Christ to you to someone around you as we all need to be reminded of that truth. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Great Commission Community Church. It's so good to be here with you uh, today. If you're visiting us for the first time, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Um, as it's been mentioned, we, uh, throughout the summer, we're going to try to um, have different order of our service. And so some of the prayer that we usually pray before the sermon will come after the sermon. We'll see how this, this goes. We want to give our church community more time to process uh, God's word and respond. And so we'll try to to do that uh, today. Um, today, just a few announcements. Uh, again, if you're visiting us for the first time, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, just, you know, we have a few um, different events that are happening over the summer, and we want to utilize these events to connect with one another and also invite other people in. Uh, one of the things that we're going to do throughout the summer is have the gym space, and so this is for any of you who want to play, last uh, Sunday we had probably about 20 folks come out and they play basketball. We had some families come and their kids, kids were running around on the side. And so, well, not every Sunday, but we'll do this about three times throughout this uh, summer. And again, this is for you to connect with one another and invite friends so that they can connect with our church community. So that's happening today at 1 uh, through 3 p.m. after the service. Uh, next Sunday, uh, if you're a regular attender of our Tyson service, next Sunday will be our, we'll try this, we'll have an outdoor worship service followed by a picnic. It will be held uh, at a, a park called Lake Akatik. And so we've been there a few times. 
It's about, I'll say about 15 minutes from here, not too far. It's a beautiful place. We, uh, we have sort of the large pavilion. Uh, we'll be there. We'll, we'll worship. We'll have uh, burgers and some food. So you're, well, uh, you're more than welcome to join us. Please join us next Sunday. And, and also please bring friends and also um, bring sides that you can share with other, other people. The church will provide the main meat and drinks. Um, we ask you to bring some uh, food, food to share with others. Uh, we pause our small group ministry during the summer, but as many of you know, small groups are so important in our church community. And so we're, uh, we, we use the summer season to kind of recruit new uh, leaders and hosts. So if you are interested in, in serving in this way, we want to we hear from you. So on let's say, July 9th at uh, 7 to 8 p.m. over Zoom, we're going to have just an interest meeting. So if you are interested in hosting or leading a small group this upcoming year and you want to bless our church community in that way, please come out and hear. Uh, just yeah, let us know and hear expectations and what we have and what we envision for this coming, coming year. Um, all right, last, I think this is the last one. We have the women's retreat coming up in November. I know some of you guys are thinking, this is early, but uh, we like to plan. Our ladies like to plan ahead, and so this is November 3rd and 4th. I was told to announce this, and uh, the ladies at our church, please mark these dates down because our calendars get gets full quickly. And so November 3rd and 4th, first weekend, Friday, Saturday, and we'll get away and have a time uh, just to be renewed and refreshed. On that note, as some of you know, or we've had a video up uh, about two Sundays ago now, uh, we are in a discussion, uh, our, our denomination and our church as well, in a discussion of uh, women in ministry issues. And so I just wanted to let you know that we'll have a sermon or two in July, and uh, we'll have a Zoom sort of town hall discussion meeting following those sermons. But if you have any questions about that, even now, you're thinking about it, you're looking at different passages, or you're reading books, uh, our pastoral staff and our elders are open to um, taking questions and answers even before uh, next month. So if you're interested in that, we are available. Please come in and come and talk to us. All right, we'll take offering. Uh, we don't take physical offering on Sundays, but uh, we do pray and just acknowledge, recognize that our, our gift comes from God, and we want to bless uh, one another in that way and, and God's uh, work in that way. So let's, let's pray together for our offering. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we're here today. We um, recognize that worshiping like this is uh, it's a gift, um, that we can sing, sing about you freely. So we are thankful for our, this space, we're thankful for our church community, and uh, we're thankful for all the gifts that you've uh, given to us. As we offer up our offerings to you, God, we just want to recognize that these gifts are from you, and you are a good God, you are our Heavenly Father, and so we thank you and praise you, and as we offer up these offerings to you, God, we pray that it will be pleasing before you, and that you would use it to um, further your kingdom, build, build up your church, and draw more people to yourself. We're going to commit our time of looking at your word. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, and may your word come alive and speak to us today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. Um,
We've been looking at our vision statements this uh, June, and we do that every three to four years uh, because we find it helpful for us to remember like what we are trying to accomplish by, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by God's grace. And these are things that are um, that, that we're shooting for, that we are pursuing after together. And so we find these times to be helpful, and, and hopefully they've been helpful for you. So I'm just going to read these one more time. We have five of them. We'll speak on the last one today. But I thought we could read them together. So hopefully it's coming up on back of me. There you go. So we'll just read them together. Uh, and just as you read, think about... Um, yeah, think about what we want, what we're envisioning today, uh, envisioning for for our church community in years to come. So let's read this together. We envision many people experiencing new life in Jesus Christ. Number two, we envision people of all backgrounds and ages, empowered by the Holy Spirit, pursuing Christ likeness together through God's word, prayer, and worship. Number three. We envision people living in authentic Christian community where we grow in love for God and neighbor. Number four, we envision reaching the least reached people groups with the gospel of Jesus Christ in the DMV region and the ends of the earth. Number five, we envision greater realities of God's kingdom in the DMV region as we participate in his redemptive work in our broken world. All right. Uh, so we'll focus on the last uh, vision statement uh, today. So if you have your Bibles with you, the text that we'll be looking at comes from Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. As you're opening to that section, uh, just quick context of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 1 and 2 are events surrounding Jesus' birth. And then Luke chapter 3, we have Jesus being led by the Spirit. He's, he enters the desert. He fasts for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, the devil comes and tempts him. But Jesus is able to overcome those temptations through God's Word. And then in chapter 4, we begin to see the beginnings of Jesus' ministry. And so in chapter 4, uh, we'll start from verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, that's his, that's his hometown, where he had been brought up. And as he was, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Uh, and the scroll of the Sabbath, excuse me, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And, all, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Uh, we'll pause, we'll stop there. This is God's word. So here are my three, three things I want to talk about today. We have Jesus' sermon, 
And then number two, what does that mean for us? And then how do we live this out? Okay, so Jesus' sermon. So this is actually, according to Gospel of Luke, Luke the writer, this is Jesus' first sermon. So, I mean, he, might, he probably preached in other places, and we read in verse 14 that he went to different synagogues and different villages, and he, he taught. That happened. But for Luke, this is what Luke writes for us. This is his, Jesus' very first sermon. He goes to a synagogue in his hometown, and a scroll is given to him. So he takes on the scroll, and he begins to read. And the place that he goes to is Isaiah 61. And so we just want to recognize that this is significant, right? Because Jesus goes to Isaiah 61 to read uh, uh, his first, or deliver, read his very first sermon. Now, during Jesus' times, when people went to synagogues, they had prayers, and they had scripture reading. Scripture reading was usually, uh, or always, with the, the law of Moses, the first five books, and then they had usually the readings from the prophets. And after the reading, uh, a recognized or someone who was qualified person would, would stand up and begin to talk about the passage that was read, or he would find another passage to talk about. Talk about. And so here Jesus stands up, as by this time people recognize, recognize him, and so he stands up, takes the scroll, goes to Isaiah 61 and begins to read. And this is Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And there are some uh, verses that, that's drawn from Isaiah 58 as well, and so what we can gather is Jesus probably read from Isaiah 61, Isaiah 50, 58, and as Luke was perhaps compiling this section, he sort of truncated and gave us this section here. And so Jesus speaks his first sermon. Uh, and I, I read something this past week that during those times, um, it's a possibility that the, the scripture reader actually sat down and people who heard him actually stood up. So maybe we should try that someday. Like I could sit down in a bench or a chair and you guys stand up for 30 minutes. Right, we want to follow the Bible and maybe that's a good way to do that. I, I just, that intrigued me. But anyway, people stood up as they were reading. And so here's Jesus' again, first sermon. This is significant. He goes Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. And so what is Jesus saying? And, and usually in verse, verse 20 here, it says, after he reads the passage, um, he sits down. And he says, verse 20 says, everyone was watching him. And the reason why they were watching him was because after this reading, the person who read the passage was supposed to explain what he read. But he doesn't do that here, right? He sits down. So everyone's waiting. That's what's supposed to happen. There, there has to be some kind of instruction or explanation of the passage. But he sits down. And his sermon actually is just one sentence. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What is Jesus saying? In the, in the book of Isaiah, especially the second half, there's this figure that the prophet Isaiah talks about often. It's a, a, a figure that's called the servant of the Lord. And it's this figure that comes and brings justice to nations. He brings salvation to the ends of the earth. He brings shalom, peace to kingdoms. There's this great mysterious figure that Isaiah talks about pretty often. It starts with Isaiah 42. The servant of the Lord, who he comes and he will bring justice to the nations. He will establish kingdom of peace, shalom. He's going to uh, 
spread or he's going to bring goodness to the ends of the earth. And Jesus, what here Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, I am now, I have arrived, and I am this servant of the Lord that the prophet Isaiah have talked about. I am, in my life, this, this prophecy and this sermon has been fulfilled. That's what he's saying. So let's kind of look at what, exactly what he says here. Verse 18 again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And that's what Jesus does, right? When he comes to, uh, when he came, when he began to do his ministry, I mean, that's what he did. He proclaimed the, the message, the good news of the kingdom of God, and people began to come. And it's interesting, and, and most of you know this, but when Jesus came to preach the gospel, it's, it was the poor who came to him. I don't think this, this, this doesn't mean that Jesus only came to save the poor, but I think it does mean that poor people came and were drawn to him. We talked about Nicodemus a few Sundays ago. He's an exception. He was someone who was established and wealthy and respected, but most people who were drawn to Jesus and his message were poor people, people who, were, who had broken lives. They were, they were sick. They were blind. Uh, they, some of them were dying. They, it's these people that were drawn to Jesus, and, and that's what Jesus does here. He proclaims the kingdom of God, the good news of the gospel to the poor. And um, it's, it's good to remember remember that because I mean, poor, the poor are overlooked often, right? Even in our society, they're overlooked. Uh, they, they lack the resources that many of us have. Uh, they are marginalized. Um, they're pushed out. Very few people pay attention to the poor, but the kingdom of God, when Jesus came, he came to the poor. He spoke the good news to the poor. And Jesus himself was a poor person. He was born into a poor family. He identified with the poor, so he came to bring the good news to the poor. But it wasn't just the proclamation of the gospel, but we read here, he came to bring sight to the blind. We read it in the gospels, right? He healed those people who were blind. Physical healing and spiritual healing, I think we could take in both ways. People who are spiritually blind, they, they did not know who God was, they do not know God's character, they had, they're spiritually blind, and those people who are, who are physically, literally blind received sight. Jesus here said, he, he set liberty to those who are oppressed. People who are oppressed demonically, we read that pretty often, right? Jesus comes and heals and frees those who are demonically oppressed, those who are religiously oppressed, Jesus heals, and those who are socially oppressed. I can think of the, the leper who, who, who no one had touched for a long time, Jesus comes and touches him. He was an outcast. No one had, no one had any kind of dialogue with him or touched him in, in years. But Jesus comes and touches him and embraces him and heals him. He delivers uh, and loves and touches those who are socially and physically oppressed. That was Jesus' ministry. In Matthew 11, uh, John the Baptist is in prison. And he, you can just kind of imagine, he is probably losing hope. And he hears about Jesus and, and what he is doing. And so he tells his disciples to go and ask if Jesus was the Messiah or should we be waiting for someone else. 
And this is what Jesus' response to John the Baptist was. He said, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. That was Jesus' ministry. That's who Jesus was. And look at verse 19. Again, this is directly from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2. He says, he came, he's talking about Jesus, came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this is referring to, this is from Isaiah 61, and Isaiah 61 is referring to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25 is about the Sabbath and the year of Jubilee. It's this strange law that, from what I could gather, was never really practiced, this law of Jubilee. So you, we know what Sabbath is, right? Every seventh day, you're supposed to rest, be with God. And then in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25, the nation Israel was not only to rest every seventh day, but every seventh year, they were supposed to not work and rest, like rest their animals, rest their land, right? And so the sixth year, they were supposed to, in faith, God was supposed to provide for them enough food so that the seventh year they completely rest. I like that law. I mean, can you imagine if we had that law, like seven, every seventh year, man, we don't have to do any work. The government tells you, don't work. Relax. Enjoy. Have fun. That would, that would be amazing, but that's what Levitic, Leviticus chapter 25 said. And then amazingly, after seven of these seventh year, so after 49 years, was something called the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was not only are you resting, but if you fell into any kind of debt, the debt was forgiven. If you fell into like hardship and you had to sell your land, and you even fell into poverty and so you became a slave, the year of Jubilee says you are set free. You get your land back. It's an amazing law. And again, from what I, what I could tell, the Israelites never really lived that out. Maybe it was just too radical. So you could imagine when Israelites came into the land of Canaan, God gave each tribe, clan, and family land. Um, and they were supposed to pros- prosper. But you could imagine some families did well. Maybe they made good decisions. Maybe they had good fortunes. Others did not do so well. Maybe they were hit by some kind of hardship. Maybe they got sick. Maybe they made terrible decisions. And again, they fell into debt and they sell their land and maybe even became a servant. But year of Jubilee was supposed to set all those things right. You got your land back. You fell into servanthood or, or slavery, well, you're released, you're freed. Your debts were canceled. What is Jesus saying here? The servant of the Lord, according to himself, he's saying, I've come to make everything right. I've come to forgive your sins. I've come to redeem your life. That's what, the, that's what Jesus is saying here. This is who I am. I am the servant of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I've come to bring the year of the favor of the Lord, year of jubilee. That's what Jesus comes. 
And so when we read the Gospels, when Jesus comes, he says, I have good news. The kingdom of God is here. That's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not just talking about, I'm, I've come here to make your life a little bit better or make sure that, that your family life is okay. Or work. That's not what Jesus is talking about. When he says, I've come and I've usher, I'm ushering in the kingdom of God, he's saying, I've come to make everything right. I've come to bring you goodness and righteousness, and justice, and peace, and beauty, and glory. I've come to bring all of these qualities of God. That's what he says. The very first, according to Mark, the first sermon that he gave according to Mark is, he says, repent and believe in the good news. The kingdom of God is here. Friends, the Christian life is not just about making my life a little bit better. We say, and we, almost, we sing it almost every Sunday. We're looking forward to the day when everything will be right. It's the year of Jubilee. That's what we're waiting for. And that's, what, that's why Jesus, for his first sermon, goes to Isaiah 61 and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The prophets, what the prophets wrote about, the servant of the Lord is, a, is about me. I'm here. I'm bringing good news of the kingdom. So the qu two questions, right? One then, what does that mean for us? And then how do we live this out? What does that mean for us? Uh, maybe two big points. One, that means that no matter where you are with God or in life, there's redemption in Christ. Maybe you've had a difficult time. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've gone through some challenges in life and you're in a place where, not only spiritually, but physically, maybe emotionally, mentally, um, it's been difficult. Uh, you, maybe you feel like you're oppressed in some sense, however, whether that's spiritually or economically or relationally, you're not in a good place. What Jesus here says, I've come to redeem your life. There's forgiveness, right? The, your debts are canceled. There's forgiveness. There's redemption in Christ. There's healing. That's there for you because Jesus is here. Jesus came. So in, you know, towards the end, we'll have some time of prayer and take communion. If, if, that's, you, if, if that's where you are, I want to encourage you to come. And whatever that looks like, maybe it's literally coming to receive prayer, or maybe just taking communion or just worshiping through songs, whatever that looks like, the invitation is there for you. We are, Jesus is the servant of the Lord who invites us in to participate in his kingdom. The second thing, though, is that our vision statement says um, we envision a greater realities of God's kingdom here in the DMV region as we participate uh, in his redemptive work in our broken world. So that, that means that we as his people are to live in a way that we participate with what Jesus is doing, right? Jesus came to proclaim the good news, to heal the sick, to uh, bring freedom to those who are oppressed. I mean, that's, that was what Jesus' life was about. And so as his followers, we want to participate in that work. Jesus came for the first time. He said, the kingdom of God is here, near, repent and believe. And he will come again to make everything right fully and completely. And so we li live in this era. How are we supposed to live? Well, we're supposed to participate in what God is doing. 
proclaiming the good news to the poor, to bring healing. We pray for healing because God is a healer. We work and love the, the poor. We bring justice wherever we might live and be. We try to usher and participate, bring and display the kingdom of God here and now. Just in a few chapters, Jesus will, the next chapter, Luke chapter 5, is Jesus calling his disciples to follow him. And in Luke chapter 6, he gives another sermon. The sermon is called the Sermon on the, uh, on the Mount. And this is what Jesus says. He says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when people hate you. And then he goes on to say, but woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. What is Jesus saying? Jesus saying, in my kingdom, the values are flipped upside down. He's saying, don't be too quick to live for pleasure or wealth or reputation. Just be cautious. Be suspicious of these things because these things are values of this world. They are fleeting. But things like weakness, when people don't like you, uh, when there is sorrow in your life, Jesus says, these things seem bad, but in my kingdom, they have value. How are we supposed to live in this world? We're supposed to be a community, God's people, who live in light of who God is. We're the people of God. We have different goals, agendas, values. We, we taste and look different. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't, you can't be rich, or that doesn't mean that you can't succeed, but it does mean that we should be suspicious of these things, and they should not control us. We live differently because we're the people of God. We, are, we represent, display God's kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount, he, um, Jesus ends with these words. He says, but love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return. Sounds like the, the year of the Jubilee principle, right? You're supposed to forgive. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father in heaven is merciful. That's how the Sermon on the Mount ends in the Gospel of Luke. And it, it reflects to the, the year of the Lord's favor. We're supposed to forgive, release people, be generous, be kind, sacrificial, compassionate for those who are hurting. That's how, our, that's how we are supposed to live here and now. We're God's people. We display the kingdom of God. My third point. Now, how do we do this? I think when we hear a sermon like this and uh, when we think about this, this challenge, I think two, two responses happen. One... You, you could see, we could feel overwhelmed, right? Because there's brokenness everywhere. I mean, where, where do we start? How do I do this? It's, it feels overwhelming. How do, how do I begin to live this out? And so, um, 
just I thought maybe just two examples. Uh, you know, if you're there and you're like, I, I want to live this out. I, I don't know how to do it yet. Just want to point to two of our local partners. Uh, we have Casa and a little light. They're organizations that's trying to live this out. They're displaying the kingdom of God where God has placed them. And we've partnered with them for a long time. Casa, probably about 10 years. Little Light, only for about five years. And we give and we pray for them. We volunteer in their organization. So I just want to say, if you have this inclination, I want, to, I want to display the kingdom of God. Maybe the easiest way would be just volunteer or pray for this ministry and allow God to work through your life. Uh, for instance, Little Light's mission statement is to empower underserved youth families and communities in Washington, D.C. by sharing the hope of Christ through compassionate action, caring relationships, and racial reconciliation. CASA is a group where that's loving your neighbors as themselves in Latino community in Alexandria. They work with families, kids, youth, young adults. They provide mentorship, relationships, academic assistance, professional development in the name of Christ. And so these groups are our partners, and you can volunteer. You can begin to maybe pray for them and think about what they're doing. That's the first, first um, way that we could live this out practically. Second, I think as we hear these kind of things, some of us, it's kind of like mixed feelings, I think. Yes, I want to do this better. I want to display the kingdom of God in my life. And at the same time, many of us might feel guilty because we might feel like I am not living this out well. Or I don't, like, I don't know how to do it well. Um, like guilt doesn't last that long. We might feel guilty like right now. Oh, man, that dude is speaking about Isaiah 61. I feel a little guilty. But when we go out in the hallway and we begin to fellowship, like you're thinking about lunch and you're thinking about different things. And like it, I mean, it's, it's totally forgotten. So I just want to say, let's not be motivated by guilt, but I want to give you three motivations that's really, I think, God-honoring. Uh, number one, and when you look at the Leviticus chapter 25 passage, the passage about the year of Jubilee, you know, God says something that's really interesting. He, he says it several times. He says, uh, he's talking about, he's talking to his people, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I've given you the land of Canaan. I am your God. What is God saying? He's saying, everything that you have belongs to me. I've given you this land. I brought you out from Egypt. The land that you have, and maybe you ran into good fortunes, maybe you made good decisions, and so maybe your lands multiplied, you're doing well, but God is saying, I gave you this land. How do we become radically generous in giving of ourselves is when we recognize that everything that we have comes from God. Our breath, our heart, it beats because of God. Our intellect, our skills, our talent, everything comes from God. And when we begin to genuinely recognize that, well, we can begin to give it away because it's not ours to begin with. God gave us opportunities to study. God brought you to this country. God gave you your parents. It's God who gave you good gifts. And James chapter 1, that's what James tells us. Every good gift comes from the Father in heaven. 
If we believe that, then we can give it away. We can give our time, our resources, our money away because it's not ours to begin with. Number two, look at this passage, Isaiah 61, as well as when Jesus comes and speaks this sermon, he begins by saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The way that we can live displaying God's values in the kingdom of God in this world is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or another way to put it is the life of compassion, life, life of justice and kindness and generosity, these are life of the Spirit. The Spirit dwells in us. I mean, that's what Jesus says. And even Jesus' life, right, after, right before chapter, chapter 4, beginning of chapter 4, is when Jesus comes and goes, he's in the wilderness and he's fasting. And he comes out of that season, in verse 14 it says, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the way that we become more uh, kingdom-minded, more bold, more humble, uh, that we can sur- surrender what we have is when we walk with the Holy Spirit. This is life of the Spirit because He is God. Right? He dwells in us. So He shapes us. He changes us. And so, yeah, this is ma- not outside in, but it's inside out. Our, our hearts begin to change. We have new passions, new desires. That's from the Holy Spirit as we walk with Him. And He changes us. And so another, another way is just, so just allow, be open to the Spirit of God working in your life and allow Him to change you. And lastly, um, Jesus looks at, Jesus is speaking from Isaiah 61. And so I want to read, so we read Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. I want to read verses 1, 2, and 3. So this is Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3. So this is where Jesus is getting his sermon from, right? He says, so Isaiah 61 verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the, of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, verse 3, to grant, those, to, to, grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress, Instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So here's another thing that Jesus does as the anointed servant. Verse 3 says, he comes and he gives beautiful headdress. Your translation might have uh, crowns of beauty. Give them crown of beauty instead of ashes. Ashes is death, right? Crown of beauty instead of death, instead of ashes. Oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of faint spirit. This is what I want to say. The servant of the Lord in Isaiah is also known as the suffering servant. In Isaiah 53, he takes upon himself his people's sins. 
So I think in verse 3, what he's talking about here is Jesus will come and he will give us, his people, crown of beauty instead of ashes. Uh, oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of faint spirit. I think what is Jesus is getting at is, and when you read this with Isaiah 58 and 53, you recognize that he's not only the servant of the Lord, but he's a suffering servant. He takes the sins of his people. And here he says that he, you know, when, when verse 3 is talking about we get a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the death of ashes or the, the mourning, it doesn't just disappear. It comes to the suffering servant according to Isaiah 53. He takes on, on the cross, and you know this, he takes on, on the cross, our death, our ashes. He takes on the, the spirit of mourning, sorrow. He takes on the, the faint spirit, discouragement, depression. He takes on those things and gives, he gives us the crown of beauty. He gives us garment of praise so that we might be called oaks of righteousness. How do we get this motivation to live for God and display God's kingdom? Well, it's when we recognize not only God has God given us everything, not only does His Spirit dwells in us to change us, but the Son of God came he died for us. He took our place on the cross. He took up on our suffering, our pain, our brokenness, so that we might have crown of beauty, that we might have life with him. Friend, that's our, he's our motivation. And the more we recognize that, and the Holy Spirit impresses that upon our hearts. We're shaped by the cross. And then the Christian life then is not of ascension, but it's one of servanthood. It's about humility. It's about, suffer it's about laying down our lives so that other people can live. That's the Christian life. And that's why the Christian community, the church, is radically different than the community outside of us. We have different values. We live for different things. We have a different hope. We have a different spirit. We have a different king. We have a different Lord. We have a different Savior. When we get this, our life cannot but to be shaped by him. And so we live for his glory. We become oaks of righteousness. We display his beauty. We become radically generous with our money and our time. We become incredibly holy. We're set apart for God. We reflect Him. So friends, that's our vision for this church community. Um, I just want to end by reading those five vision statements one more time uh, for us. So you can read it with me if you like and just this is our vision for this church community, and this is our prayer. Uh, we want to be God's people here on earth that displays His glory, His beauty, His grace to people around us.
So I just want to read these five things one more time. You can join if you like. We envision many people experiencing new life in Jesus Christ. We envision people of all backgrounds and ages, empowered by the Holy Spirit, pursuing Christ-likeness together through God's word, prayer, and worship. We envision people living in authentic Christian community where we grow in love for God and neighbor. We envision reaching the least reached people group with the gospel of Jesus Christ in the DMV region and ends of the earth. We envision greater realities of God's kingdom in the DMV region as we participate in his redemptive work in our broken world. So let's pray together. You want to pray for us as um, wrap this part up, and then we'll have a sort of corporate prayer that we will pray together. And then afterwards, uh, I'll come back up, and we'll have communion and maybe further response time. But let me pray for us. Oh, oh God, um, we come, and we're humbled to know that you've called us. You've called us to be your people. Uh, you've called us to follow you. At the same time, we just acknowledge how weak we feel over, or overwhelmed we feel at the call that you have placed upon our life together. We acknowledge that apart from you, your grace, your, your spirit taking hold of us, living this out is impossible. We acknowledge our self-centeredness and selfishness and our shortcomings in so many ways. So, God, we, our hearts are open, our hands are open. We pray that today that you would reshape us, remind us of the truth that we have in, in Christ, that we are your people and we will be with you forever. We are shaped by the cross. We're empowered by the Spirit. Lord, we pray, oh God, that you would take hold of this church, that we might display who you are better to those around us. In Christ's name we pray. Let's stand together as we uh, say this prayer, and then we'll respond uh, with communion. Uh, please pray with me as we ask God to bring forth greater realities of God's kingdom as we participate in his redemptive work in our broken world. After I say, Lord, may your kingdom come, I invite you to pray and reply with, on earth as it is in heaven. It will be reflected on the screen. God, we marvel at all of your creation and all the good things you have made. You are good and beautiful, righteous, just, and holy, loving, and merciful. And though we as your image bearers should live with one another and love the way you do, we confess that we fall woefully short because of our sins. We confess and repent on behalf of ourselves, our church, and our world that we have built monuments to us and our names and recognize our contributions to a world full of unjust social and economic and governing systems dominated by greed and fear, rather than by mercy, generosity, humility, and kindness. We receive your forgiveness purchased for us through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, and we receive your empowerment through your Holy Spirit to participate with you in living your kingdom. 
We pray your kingdom come into our families. We pray for mending of broken relationships between spouses, parents, children, and siblings. Please heal generations of suffering, misunderstanding, abandonment, and abuse. Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as, as it, it is, is in heaven. In places of learning, at home or in our schools and other academic or research institutions, we pray that your truth would be sought after and revealed. We ask for wisdom and skill for all who teach and understanding and discernment for those who learn, that we might instruct and listen according to your ways. Lord, may your kingdom come. We pray that in our marketplaces and economies, we would not crowd out the poor or the sojourner, and that what is sold, bought, and consumed would not would be things that help life flourish and not destroy. Please eradicate slavery and unjust treatment of laborers and turn our hearts that we would be honest and gracious in all our dealings. Lord, may your kingdom come. We pray for our civic leaders and our local and national government. We pray for laws and policies to be developed and executed with justice and mercy. Please establish elected officials and government workers with upright character who hate bribes. We pray that public works would benefit all communities and not just the well-connected or well-off. Lord, may your kingdom come. We pray for places of physical, emotional, and mental healing, that they would be effective, accessible to all, and purposed primarily for health and wellness over monetary profit. May the hands who minister to the sick bring about your healing. Lord, may your kingdom come. We pray for the channels of communication and expression to be filled with truth, creativity, and beauty. Bless those working in all forms of media, including publications, social media, visual arts, broadcast, and others. May all their works point to you. We ask your blessing to flow through those who entertain through their professions, that they would bring joy that reflects your joy, Lord. Lord, may your kingdom come. Lastly, in our church, in Tyson's Corner, in Bailey's Crossroads, in Pentagon City, Crystal City, Washington, D.C., and beyond, in Cambodia, Indonesia, Tea House, in all the world, Lord, may your kingdom come. Go ahead and uh, take communion, and let's use this time to respond to our God. Uh, maybe it's something that is personal, uh, like we talked about. It's an invitation for you uh, that uh, we have a God who redeems us, who forgives us. That's our cleanse, a new move. And um, if, if you need space and time to do that, I want to invite you out to do that. Maybe it's just a, a prayer of, for our church community as a whole, that we can display by the power of the Spirit, shaped by the cross, we display God's kingdom better uh, here in the Tyson region. You can do that as well. But this is a time for you to respond and you to pray. pray. Uh, I have communion. I'll present the communion elements. Uh, we'll have a prayer team up here. And so if you just want to pray with someone or, or just be receive prayer, please come up and, and do 
that as well. So let's use this time to respond to uh, our God who, who always is calling us. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he, he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink from it for the forgiveness of your sins. So we'll sing, pray, and let's come to the table together. is groaning and we are longing for your kingdom to come all creation and all of heaven with their voices as one God let your kingdom come
sing this chorus, I invite you in your hearts or even audibly so that you can hear yourself. Can we continue to intercede? God, let your kingdom come in my family, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my school, in this nation, in all the world. Let your kingdom come. Let's pray, church.
Let's just pray a, a prayer in, for yourself in your heart. Do that and then uh, say a prayer at this moment. much for coming today. It was great worshiping with you. Next Sunday, we will be outdoors at Lake Akiting, so we'll see you there. All right, thanks. Yeah.